uh, for that. So, before Kings part 5. Now, Paul has been sentenced to go and appear before uh, Caesar. And so, this morning, when I was studying this passage of Scripture uh, and looking at it, this morning we're going to be having two main points, okay? Just two points this morning that I think we're all going to be able to relate to. The two points this morning are itinerary and interim. Um, yes, they both start with I, and, and that's nice to, to use alliteration every now and again to help us remember things. But itinerary, we're going to be looking at how the Lord is the one that sets up the journey of our life. And as we are obedient to Him, we will see Him do great and mighty things that we never thought were possible. We'll also experience things that we never thought we would ever experience, good and bad, uh, difficult and easy. And so we're going to look at this itinerary that was set up for Paul, and then we're going to look at what happened between point A and point B in the interim, and what kind of amazing things took place. So, point one, before Kings part five, is Paul's making his way before the most powerful man in the known world, the emperor of Rome. This itinerary from Jerusalem to Rome was 2,308 kilometers, or 1,434 miles uh, for those that would travel by sea, 1,246 nautical miles from Jerusalem to Rome. So this was a major, major trip. This journey would take days and days and days. It was not just as if we hop in our car and drive 70 miles an hour, you know, with the flow of traffic, of course, you know, whatever it might be. And we get there quickly. This is not one of those scenarios. We're talking about wooden boats and not ocean liners. In verse 1, under point number 1, the itinerary, it says, and when it was decided that we should sail to Italy. Uh, just by way of recap, who wrote the book of Acts? Uh, it's not Acts. No, it wasn't a person named Acts. It was Luke, and we all uh, should remember that. So he's the one that is uh, documenting this. And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy... They delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. Now, Julius is another one of the centurions that we're introduced to in the Bible. Some of us might recollect off the top of our heads in the Gospels, the centurion whose servant was sick. And he came to Jesus saying, please, can you heal my servant? And Jesus said, I'll come. And he said, no, I'm also a man, you know, with authority, under authority. And I can tell one of my my soldiers go and he goes. He says, just speak forth the word and I know my servant will be healed. And Jesus replied and said, such faith is not even found in all of Israel. And the centurion's faith was healed, uh, uh, servant was healed. We also, you remember when Jesus was crucified on the cross and the centurion that was standing next to the cross looked up and said, truly this man was the son of God. Then you remember in Acts chapter 12, if I'm not mistaken, with Peter, how Cornelius... Uh, actually, it was Acts chapter 10. Uh, Cornelius, uh, one of the, the, the first Gentile converts who was a centurion. He was a, a Roman soldier. And we see now Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. Verse 2, So entering a ship of, the, of Adramidium, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. And the next day we landed at Sidon. And Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. 
And when we had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. Verse 5. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. And there the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. On the way to Rome, on the way to Italy. So Paul is on his way to Rome, just as the Lord had promised he would be. In Acts 23, verse 11, it says, The Lord stood by Paul and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. So the Lord says, you're going to do it. You better believe that it's going to happen. I think of, you remember the stories in the Gospels where, where Jesus told his disciples, let's go to the other part of the sea. Remember the Sea of Galilee. And he says, let's go to the other side. And they get stuck in the middle of it. And there's a terrible storm. And they're crying out, Jesus, save us. Don't you care if we're going to die? And all this kind of thing. And he rebukes the wind in the sea. And the wind stops blowing and the sea stops rolling. The rain stops falling. And they wonder, what kind of man could this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? And the point was that when Jesus says, let's go to the other side, you can bank on it that you will go to the other side and you'll make it. And so we'll see in life how the Lord will lead us and he'll set up an itinerary and say, I have called you to do this certain thing, but then we will see how there are difficulties and that there are opposition, uh, oppositions that will arise that will seek to subvert that, but nonetheless it will happen. So Paul's on his way to Rome, just as the Lord promised he would be. And it says in verse 7, when we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off Canidus, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmone. Verse 8, passing it with difficulty. We came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lasaya. In verse 9, now when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Now, it was extremely dangerous. For those of you that are familiar with the geography of that region, it was extremely dangerous to sail after October on the Mediterranean Ocean. There would be terrible, terrible storms that would arise. And they would flip those ships like they were little toy ships. And it was not a safe time to travel during the winter. Terrible storms. Now, in light of this, what Paul just said... This is an important point for us to look at because so often we will get lost in the storms of the interim and forget that God is still in charge of our itinerary. Can I say that again? So often we will get lost in the storms of the interim, meaning what happens between point A and point B. And we will be tempted to forget that even though We're in these storms that God is still in charge of our itinerary. Meaning, if He says you're going to do this or you're going to go there, He is still in charge regardless of what happens in between. We will forget at times that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose, as it says in Romans 8.28. Now, if I could just ask you this question, think about it honestly. Have you ever noticed... 
that so often life turns out completely different than we thought it was going to be or even what we planned it to be. Have you ever noticed that? Man, I thought it was going to be this and I thought it was going to be that, but it ended up being the other thing. We didn't end up being an astronaut or a professional baseball player or the rock and roll hall of famer. It just didn't work out the way that we thought it was going to work out. Things just turned out differently. I mean, some of us growing up come from families that our families had our lives mapped out for us before we were born and we really had no choice in the matter. Some of us make it up as we go. Well, let's just see what happens next and we'll just go with it. But the itinerary for the follower of Jesus is so jam-packed. Man, from personal experience, we've experienced that it's so jam-packed with, with exciting adventures and things that we never would have, would have foreseen. It's unbelievable. As it says in 1 Corinthians 2.9, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered the heart of man the things which the Lord has prepared for those who love Him. Better than you've ever seen and better than you've heard people talk about and even better than you can dream or imagine for yourself was what the Lord has in store for you because you love Him. But Satan is the master counterfeiter trying to get us to accept the alternative to God's perfect will. It's not usually something that's just so blatantly dastardly, though it sure can be, but it's usually Satan's plan masquerades, masquerades as the second best. The second best. It might not be God's best, but it's a, it's a close second. So why don't we go with this thing instead of God's best? See, everything in the life of the follower of Jesus will work out for the good. Think of all the times in your life when you've gone from one stage to the next. From one stage to the next. I'm thinking about it, even just seeing my own children growing up. I remember going from kindergarten to first grade. What a big jump that was. Elementary school to junior high school. Then junior high to high school. High school to college. Single to dating. And then dating to uh, being single again. Married. Children. Jobs. Homes. Health. Issues. Money. No money. So on and so forth. But what happens in each of those milestones? What happens in between each of those milestones that we just listed off and the host more? The kids that made fun of us, the friends we made, the friends we lost. Learning to deal with our bodies changing, our voices changing. We never knew that we could be professional yodlers until we were 13. Becoming a man or a woman. Having a crush. Having a heart broken. Falling in love. Will we ever get married, ever have a family, ever have a home? All of those things that happened in between each of those milestones. See, yes, the destination is of value, but it's what we learn, and more importantly, who we become as the Lord works in us and through us between the spaces of A to B and B to C, and then C to D and etc. What happens in between those times are when the Lord refines us and teaches us things and helps us be more like Him. See, being between the major points is where the greatest work of God takes place in shaping our character and forging our faith. It's the unexpected things that take place along our way that show us that we could never have planned out our lives as good as God can. 
So Paul warns the centurions that sailing is probably not the best idea. It's dangerous. In verse 11, Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. Now, right off the bat, the sailors probably were like, Who in the world is this guy? What does he even know, this Jewish Pharisee Christian guy? What does he know about when to travel? Or what a ship, you know, needs to get from point A to point B. He doesn't know anything. And I feel like this is so common, a response for even people today. And let me tell you this way. What does the Christian know about anything? What does God know? What does the Bible even say that pertains to my life? You guys don't know anything. And even as the Lord warns us of the dangers of embarking out onto the seas of sin, people will look to other people doing the same thing for advice. Hey, what do you guys think? We'll ignore God's word. We'll ignore the messengers of God, those pastors, the Christians, those leaders, the people that proclaim God's word. Hey, it's dangerous if you do this at this time. I mean, we look at what the Bible says and how things are just laid out so clearly. If you do this, you're going to have a very hard time. You do this, you're going to experience pain. If you do this, you'll have life and you'll have it more abundantly. Oh, what do they know? What do they know? See, but the real reason for them wanting to not stay in the harbor was because it wouldn't be pleasurable. And we know that in verse 12. It says, And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, opening toward the southwest and northwest, and winter there. The sailors didn't want to spend three months in some boring city, some non-entertaining place for the winter. Are you kidding me? We don't want to stay here. Where's the fun in that? Let's go out to sea. Let's go out. It might be dangerous, but let's have fun. Let's do something. It might be worth doing. Let's try it out. Verse 13, when the south wind blew softly. Listen to this. This phrase is is so uh, interesting in looking at just the, the connection, the spiritual and the actual historical account of what's happening here. It says, when the south wind blew softly, verse 13, supposing that they had obtained their desire. Putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, a tempestuous headwind rose called a Euroclidon. Supposing that they had obtained their desire. Yes! I just think it's so interesting, the words that are used here. We got what we wanted. Going against what the man of God said. Going against the will of the Lord. Going against what God said we should be doing. But every time you reject what the Lord is telling you to do or not do, there's always a storm that follows. Always. They think, oh, we achieved our desire. We're going to get to go to the place that we want to go. It's pleasurable and it's nice to winter in there. Going against what Paul had said. Now, as Paul was in the midst of this and on a ship heading in the wrong direction, how is he to handle this? Let me say this again. Paul is on a ship heading in the wrong direction. Head on into a storm. How is he to handle this? Does this sound anything like a follower of Jesus living in the USA right now? On a ship, heading in the wrong direction with a storm ahead. How do we as Christians, how do we as followers of Jesus, believing in the promises of God, handle the unforeseen storms associated with things outside of our control? 
If I live in a country that turns its back on God and there is the fallout, how do I deal as a Christian with that? Well, that leads us to point number two, which is the interim. We have the itinerary. These are the things set out. Let's get from Jerusalem to Rome. And here's the different cities that we're going to harbor in. And we're going to go this way and that way and over there and under there and find this ship and get over here. And then now we see what happens in between Jerusalem and Rome. Point number two, the interim, which leads us to one of our substantiating verses, which is Proverbs 16.9, which says, A man can plan his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. I can set out my plan, but the Lord directs my steps. I'm hoping that I am living my life according to the map that God has laid out for me. That his itinerary is my itinerary. But what happens in the middle is very important. The middle of point A to point B. And so when the ship was caught, verse 15, and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. We let her drive. Caught in the storm. Are you kidding me? Right here in verse 15. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we just let her drive. To which Paul looked at the Roman centurion and said in the Italian, the Italian language, which is, Te l'avevo detto, which is, I told you so, in Italian. No, actually, he didn't say that. That's not till later. Verse 16, it says, And running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. And when they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship, and fearing lest they should run aground on the Sirtis sands, it says at the end of 17 there, they struck sail and so were driven. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. And on the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. In verse 20, And when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. In verse 20 there, they made their decision, and their decision left them without hope. Hey, this looks fun. Let's do this. Oh, forget what God says. Forget what the man of God says. Let's do this. Their decision, their decision led them to a place to be without hope. They threw their precious cargo overboard with their own hands. The things that were most valuable to them with their own hands, they said, this is not worth it. We got to lighten the ship. We need to remove these things. And there was no light at the end of their dark tunnel. They couldn't see the sun. They couldn't see the stars. They couldn't see the moon. They had nothing but the expectation of a dark, watery grave buried in the deepest part of Davy Jones' locker. For those of you that are Pirates of the Caribbean fans, Hudson would have liked that right there. In verse 21, but it says, But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and have not sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Three things under point number two, real quickly. Point number one, don't be afraid. 
Don't be afraid was the message that came to Paul, that Paul communicated to the people that were on that ship because they made a decision to go against what they should have been doing. That decision left them being beat like a drum. It says no small tempest beat on us, meaning that the biggest storm they've ever seen was smashing on their heads. They were they were completely lost. They lost their bearings because, you know, you navigate by, you know, what, what's in the constellation, the stars. They couldn't see anything. They didn't know where they were at. They were completely lost at sea. And they were fearful for their lives. But the angel of the God to whom Paul belongs and believes in spoke to him and reminded him not to be afraid. So it's number one. Don't be afraid. When you're going through the interim period of point A and point B or wherever, that might be between X and, and, and Y or Y and Z. The interim period, the storms and the difficulties that come our way and we think, man, has God forsaken me or I'm, I'm in this place where there's wickedness around me and I'm bearing, you know, I'm having to, to, to reap the fruits of wrong decisions that other people are making that are not inside my control. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid is the message that the Lord gave Paul. And don't be afraid was the message that Paul gave to those around him. Because fear is a very real thing. And fearing for your life is one of the greatest fears. And people will start to see real quickly when their life is on the line what's really important and what's not important. It has nothing to do with what's pleasurable anymore. It has nothing to do with what possessions I have because I'm tossing them out of the boat. I'm fearful for my life. And one of the greatest fears that people have today is dying and what will happen to them after this life. The Lord reminds Paul, don't be afraid because point number two, which would be basically a sub-point number two under the interim, don't be afraid because God keeps his promises. Don't be afraid because God keeps his promises. In Romans 4 verse 21 it says, being fully convinced that what God has promised he is also able to perform. And if God says, you're going to Rome, you're going to Rome. If God says, I have called you to do this, and this is what you're to do, regardless of what happens in between, you are going to accomplish and do what God has called you to do. So don't be afraid, because God keeps His promises. And you can bank on those promises 24-7. You can cash those in at any time. They're always, always true. So don't be afraid. God keeps His promises and God gives His grace. Thank God for His grace that is given even in the midst of terrible and even self-inflicted disasters. God's grace. Getting blessed when we don't deserve it. Man, we are all a byproduct of God's grace. If you pray to God for justice, let me smack you right now. Lord, give me the justice I deserve. No, don't pray that. Whatever you do, you'll be paying the price for all of your sins, every wrong thing that you've ever done. You want God's grace. So if you want to know what to pray, oh God, please give me your grace. Undeserved, unmerited favor, blessings. Lord, pour those blessings down on me. I don't deserve them, but please, Lord, I would love those things. Give me your grace. So don't be afraid, guys. 
Don't be afraid because God keeps his promises and God gives us his grace. That's what we need. Because yes, destiny, where we start, where we finish, those things are very important. But the things that happen in between, we need to be reminded of, hey, even in the midst of terrible storms, God's still in charge of our itinerary. So the interim between point A and point B is where we learn who we are in Christ, where our character is developed, where we go through things we never would have planned. Maybe we go back and say, I would never go through that again. But what happened in my life during that period of time between this point and this point made me a better man, a better woman a better follower of Jesus today. Would I have asked for that? No. When I was in the middle of it, I prayed, God, deliver me. Get me out of this. Why are you allowing this to happen? I know Satan was there and he's there for you. He's there for me to say, yeah, if God really really loved you, why would he let this stuff happen to you? If God was really there for you, why would you be experiencing such difficulty and such pains and such storms? Terrible storms. Just getting beat down constantly. And we know that all things work together for the good. And if God has called me to do something, whatever happens in the middle of that, God is going to use for my good. And there's things in my own life that happened when I was in high school and difficulties that I went through that I, I seriously wrestled with for a long time. It, it, it really challenged my walk with God in my early uh, 20s and, and my late teens and things that I had dealt with. But looking back on that, I remember saying 10 years, a decade after those things happened, to a person that knew of those things that happened, and I said, what happened back then actually helped me be a better man today. I would never have asked for those things. I never would have planned for those things. And quite frankly, if I had to do it all over again, I probably would say, oh no, I don't want to do that again. But I know that the Lord allowed those things to happen in my life to make me better today because the Lord, he got me through it. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. God keeps his promises and he gives us his grace. In verse 25, therefore take heart men. Paul says, take heart men, even as I would tell you this morning. Take heart guys. Take heart. For I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. God said it and I believe it. And some t-shirt somewhere says that settles it. In verse 26, However, we must run aground on a certain island. And now when the 14th night had come, verse 27, and we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea. About midnight, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. And they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little farther, they took soundings again and found it to be 15 fathoms. Verse 29, Then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they had let down the skiff into the sea, under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall off. Those dirty sailors... Trying to, hey, let's drop these anchors. And they said, under pretense of dropping these anchors, they were really letting down the skiff to escape. And they were the ones that says, oh, we're not wintering here. What does Paul know? Let's go. And they're like, hey, let's get out of here. And the soldiers, it says in verse 32, cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall off. In verse 33, and as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the 14th day you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. 
Now, for some of us, you might think, well, that's pretty crazy going two weeks without eating, but have you ever been extremely seasick? Uh, I don't know if you've been on a boat where it's very, uh, I mean, I've been on a boat where I got extremely seasick. And there's some kind of uh, waves that you'll be riding in that it doesn't matter how many uh, anti-nausea pills you take, like you're, you're not going to be feeling pretty well. And you're not going to be wanting to eat. Especially, hey, would you like a, a piece of some uh, ahi pokey as you're nauseous? You're like, oh, no, no, I think I'll just wait. Thank you. So verse 34, he says, Therefore I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. For those that were balding, they were very excited at that statement. In verse 35, And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and also took food themselves. And in all, listen to this, verse 37, reading along, were 276 persons on the ship. Now, what a cool thing it is in this particular setting, when there is a man of God who maintains his composure and faith in God in the midst of the storm. Let's fast forward to you and me today. What an amazing thing it is when there is a man or a woman who maintains his or her composure and faith in God in the midst of the storm. It lifts other spirits. It encourages others when someone else is trusting in God versus, we're all going to die. You know, uh, you know, could you imagine if it was Paul letting down the skiff, being like, every man for himself, the man of God's bailing out. You know, that kind of thing. Terrible. But when it's the man or the woman of God that maintains his or her composure, maintain your faith in the midst of the storm, other people around you, their spirits will be lifted. They'll feel encouraged. And some of you right now are thinking, well, who's encouraging me? I don't see anybody else doing that. No, listen, it might not be somebody else. It might be for you to do it. You. What about them? Hey, no, God, let the Lord worry about them. What about you? Maintain your composure and maintain your faith in God in the midst of the storm. Well, there was their fault, and look what they did, and they didn't listen to me. Maintain your composure and your faith in God in the midst of the storm, because he who promised is faithful. God keeps his promises. Do not be afraid. God will give you grace. He'll give you what you need. And that point between point A and point B, that interim is still a part of God's itinerary, and he will use all things for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. In verse 38, as we conclude, so when they had eaten enough, They lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. Verse 39. And when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. And they let go of the anchors and left them in the sea, meanwhile loosing the rudder ropes. And they hoisted the mainsail. Hoist the mainsail! You can just hear it now. To the wind and made for shore. But striking a place where two seas met... Which is a very interesting thing in verse 41. When I was in India, I was at a place where three different bodies met in the ocean. 
It was the craziest thing I'd ever seen. Three different currents, three different colors of water, and they all met at one point. It was the, it was the Arabian Sea, it was the Indian Ocean, and it was the Bay of Bengal. And they all met in one place, and there's a gigantic statue out in the middle of the ocean. Craziest thing I'd ever seen. I'm like, where am I right now? And so it says here, striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable. But the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. Verse 42. And the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. And if you think that's a little intense, well, it actually is. Remember, if a Roman soldier lost his prisoner, he would pay or serve his sentence, even up to the point of death. In verse 43, but the centurion wanting to save Paul, interesting enough, Julius, another centurion who is kind to Paul, wanting to save Paul, kept the other Roman soldiers from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land. And the rest, some on boards, which, by the way, is the first reference to uh, surfing found in the Bible. Some jumped on boards, rode the waves in, others swam in. All surfers know Uh, Acts 27, verse 44. And the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship, and so it was that they all escaped safely to land. Wow. What an intense first leg of this journey that Paul's on here. Maybe it sounds similar to something you're going through this morning. If it is, take heart. Be encouraged. Don't be afraid. God keeps his promises and his grace is sufficient for you in any situation. In any situation. He who called you is faithful. Okay, so if he says we're going here, you're going there. But what happens in the interim, know that that's still part of God's itinerary and plan for your life. So Lord, what do you want us to learn? Lord, get me through this. Help me to be more like you. Help me to be stronger. Help me to be better. Help me to be wiser. Help me to be more humble. Help me, Lord, to be more kind and more loving. Whatever it might be. God hasn't abandoned you, even in the midst of the storm. Maybe the biggest storm you've ever been in your entire life. God is still there with you. He said, fear not, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. So regardless, if you are paying the price like we all are and living in a particular country that is rejecting God... How do we weather the storm? Well, we maintain our confidence, our composure, and our faith in God, even in the midst, and may it be used as an opportunity to share the love of Jesus with those around us. Because, listen, you reject God, regardless of what decision that may be, whether you think it's big or little, you will end up like those sailors, without bearings, lost in the sea, and without hope of survival. And that is the reality of rejecting what God's word says to do. So you need to maintain your composure and your faith in God so that we can help minister to those people that find themselves lost at sea. And all of this is a part of the Lord fulfilling his promise of completing what he started in our lives.